Hey there, everyone. You are listening to All Things Wolf and Wild, and I am your host, Kim Bean. If you haven't already, I highly suggest that you go back a couple of podcasts and listen to my first conversation with Brad Orsted. This was an incredibly powerful, uh, much-needed discussion about tragedy and substance abuse, mental health, and the true, true healing powers of wildlife and wildlands. If you have already listened to that podcast, then today's conversation is going to be a true treat for you because it's the continuation um, of the conversation with Brad. And we're going to talk about a lot of things today. Um, Among them would be the story about the two orphan cubs that really helped bring Brad through that darkness and on a journey that has been one of healing and transformation, not only for Brad, but for so many that have just come in contact with him. Um, Brad's amazing journey has led him to become one of the most amazing photographers, award-winning filmographers. Um, he's a wild land and a wildlife advocate. And I truly believe even more importantly than that, he's an advocate for healing. So I think you're going to fall truly in love with this guy. I know I have. So come with me on this next leg of what is truly an amazing story. Hey there, everybody. This is Kim Bean, and you are listening to All Things Wolf of the Wild. You know, if you haven't already, I highly suggest that you stop right now, go back a couple of weeks, um, and listen to my first conversation. Brad, we're back again, and I'm excited to be back again to continue our conversation. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've, I've wanted to do your podcast for so long, and so I'm actually rolling up my sleeves right now. So I'm, I'm ready when you are. We're both on it. So when we ended our last conversation, I mean, it was pretty deep and amazing and I think it's really important to kind of just start from there. And so I hope, um, you know, we can uh, both kind of go back to that. But there was that point where you literally, you'd, you'd, you'd hit the bottom at this point and you dropped to your knees and you said, I asked my creator and Marley 
you know, stay with me and uh, I'll get the, I'll get sober and, and we'll, we'll tell our story. So I want to kind of just start where we left off there and let's talk a little bit about how that kind of went about and, and, you know, let's talk about the Cubs. Let's talk about all of that if we can. Sure. Of course. Yeah. We, um, so, you know, I was, after we lost Marley, I was, um, I guess I was, I was a binge drinker, I guess. Um, you know, I would go for maybe days, weeks sometimes without any, but then when it all mounted and stuff with Marley and life and depression and PTSD and all that, you know, then I, then I would self-medicate. Um, so by uh, September, uh, let's back it up. I think it was July, actually, um, of 2018. Um, the two orphan grizzly bear cubs had come back out by themselves. And I had been seeing them, and I was sitting at a friend's house, Doug Peacock's, and we were talking about these grizzly bears. And Doug kind of bangs his fist on the table and says, we got to make a movie. We've got to make a little film about these orphan grizzly bear cubs so we can show the world that they're good bears, that they fought to survive. They're not getting in trouble. Um, I think Doug had a premonition. And so I, I was blown away that uh, my mentor and hero and, and um, grizzly advocate, the guy who started it all, Doug Peacock was asking me to make a, a movie with him about these bears and, um, you know, so I was still drinking at the time and that was July, shortly after the eight year anniversary of, of losing Marley. And, um, so we got to September 4th, 2018 and, um, I knew my life had to change and, um, I'd made packs with my partner, um, to get sober numerous times that year. And one of us would always fail. And I just decided I was not going to attach my sobriety to anything or anybody else's anymore. And that I was going to get sober and I was going to do this film that Doug's asking me to do because I didn't think I could do it drunk. Mm-hmm. And so watching, watching those bears one night, it just overtook me. And um, I dropped to a knee in a gravel road under the Montana skies. And I asked my creator and Marley, if they'll stay with me, you know, I'll tell the orphan story and our story of, of, loss and redemption and wilderness um you know and i could i could hear i couldn't see the orphans it was it was pretty dusky but i could hear them mm. out there just walking and crunching and rooting and so i had two orphan grizzly bear cubs out in the meadow you know the um big dipper above me and uh kneeling in the dirt asking for help praying for a vision you know for, for the courage to do this so uh, that's where i found myself in um, early September of 2018. So it kind of, I mean, obviously uh, we can attribute change. I'm not going to attribute sobriety to these cubs, but I am going to, you know, I would attribute your change and your change of heart and this overwhelming feeling. So tell, let's, let's kind of roll into that. I mean, how, how did it, how did it work out? How did you go forward? And let's talk a little bit about the orphan cubs and and that whole breakthrough. Yeah. So, um, September 4th, 2018, I checked myself into rehab. I I would have, if if someone would have asked me to cut a finger off that day, if they just said, cut your little finger off and you'll never drink again, I'd have cut my finger off. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything that day to quit drinking. I just, 
Um, I the day before was Labor Day, and I had got drunk and got sad and got depressed and looked at pictures of Marley out in the cabin, this old miner's cabin where I would go isolate myself and drink, and uh, it was horrible. And to wake up feeling that way for, you know, hundredth, two hundredth time, you know, I just I was done, and so I checked myself in, and um, so I went to intensive outpatient treatment. And I've been in treatment before, and I had been to dozens of AA meetings, if not a hundred um, of those, trying to quit before court ordered, and um, you know it always goes so well when the court orders it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> so this time I checked, I checked myself in, and so what I found though when I got in there, um, I'd been in treatment right after we lost Marley, about six months afterwards, back in Michigan, and so it's been about ten years since I almost since I'd been in treatment, and. I found that the good old drunks, right, were gone. Um, man, we've been replaced by people with, there's so many heroin addicts yeah. and opioids and stuff. I didn't even know. I don't even know what that stuff is. Yeah. Oxy this and cotton that. And I'm, I'm like, I, I just I just drank vodka. Does anybody still do that? <laughs> and um, they just they kind of looked at me, you know, like I had 10 heads. And, and uh, we actually went out at a smoke break the one time. And the one guy goes, most people, they're a court order. And the one guy goes, um, what did you do to get here? I said, I didn't do anything. I'm, I'm here of my own volition. And he goes, yeah, I, I didn't do anything either. I, I'm here of my own, what is that word again? I'm like, volition. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm here of my own volition. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I talked to these people a little bit and I thought, my Lord, I mean, what I had, the depression I felt, you know, from drinking, but they had drink. The one guy looks at me and he goes, I wish drinking was my only problem. Mm. You know, he was probably 22 years old and he was given the painkiller when he hurt himself in football in high school. And now mm. he's shooting up every day. Oh, it looked horrible. Right. And I just, my heart, my heart broke for those people, but you know, we're sitting in treatment and we do, or, you know, they'd print off something from a book and we'd go around, we each read a paragraph and we do these kind of canned responses and, and then, so she'd ask, um, okay, what are we doing to replace, um, to fill that void where addiction used to live with that time? What do we do? And so people are going around saying, oh, I do this. I work on my car. I go fishing. I go, you know, it's just kind of, you know, saying whatever, even just passing. And they got to me and I said, well, I bake huckleberry scones from 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. for a cafe. And then I race to go find a couple orphan grizzly bear cubs. And then I go sit under a couple hundred year old Douglas fir tree and meditate. And the whole group just turns and like their jaws on the table. They're like, you do what? I'm like, well, I've, I've, you know, I'm not a huge fan of AA. So those little grizzly bear cubs became my AA. Um, they held me accountable, right? Cause if, if I would drink or do something the night before, um, number one, I, you know, I, I just, I wouldn't have been working. I wouldn't be up early and, and chipper and going out to find them. They, they gave me accountability and Doug had asked me to make this film and I owed it to Doug and I owed it to the bears and I owed it to Marley and I owed it to myself to be sober mm-hmm. and to be strong and to go try to find them, to film them and photograph them every day. We only have them for a short window and, and to tell their story. Um, so um, I, I went through, I think I was supposed to be in there a month and I think I made it three weeks before I just, I just had to leave. I just, 
I couldn't make a connection with anyone there or anything there. And I, I felt like my, um, my treatment was out in the wild. My treatment was going back out into the woods. My treatment was tying those boots back up and, and finding those lessons out on the trail again, you know, exhausting my body and exciting my mind and grabbing a set of mountain lion tracks and just mm-hmm. following them wherever they went. You know, I don't care if I see it or not. I just want to know where it went. And um, that was, that was it for me. And, uh, but I'll never forget those people. <laughs> the look on their face when I said that I bake huckleberry scones, follow two grizzly bear orphan, two orphan grizzly bear cubs, and, and sit under a Doug fir tree meditating. It's like that's a <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, yeah. The, I forgot to tell you that uh, the the um, the uh, uh, lady running the treatment. Then she looks at me and she goes, "Oh, she's like you're into new age healing," <laughs> and I said. Sweetheart, what you're trying here is new age healing. Yeah. What I'm doing is what people have been doing for thousands of years. That's right? ancient healing. Thank you. Yeah. We should be we should all yeah. be so fortunate to to be able to put people into nature. I think that's the it is such a key. It is such a key. It really is. I love it when she said new age and it yeah. just cracked me up when I think of my uh, crow friends. You know, their their generations, you know, their great 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 grandfather who was doing this to be called new age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it'd be interesting to teach some of these um kids that are going through obviously there's just so much you know i I, because i'm older i'm with you it's like wait what (laughs) that stuff i can't even fathom right is the is the the drug addiction like that but to be able to get them out and to 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 learn to sit on a rock or under a tree and 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 meditate and find out where you're you know, that inner part of you that needs to, to express itself. And you're doing it by exhausting yourself and, and, you know, sucking in as much of this nature as you possibly can. So you leave, um, after three weeks and is it just something, something you knew that, that, that this is what you needed to do to continue your, your, um, treatment so to speak or your you know your progression into sobriety is to get back out there with these these cubs that was totally it it's just i became a monk it was literally just this monastic life of baking huckleberry scones and taking notes doing some writing um between 1 a.m and 6 a.m then i'd race to go find the orphans stay with them um, until the sun kind of got up, maybe eight, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. Then I'd go grab a power nap, then go hike to my tree, then go back to find the orphans um, in the evening in hopes of filming them until dark, then another power nap, then back to baking huckleberry scones. And that was my day after day after day after day after day. That's all I did. Right? I didn't see anybody, hardly anybody else, maybe one or two people a week because of my lifestyle and my hours and, and what I was doing. So I really just went inward and really mm-hmm. um, just made a routine. I, I gleaned enough from treatment and from AA and don't get me wrong. I, I love AA and I really appreciate it. And there's so much fellowship and sure. so much value and so much help there, but I'm just a loner. I'm a wildlife photographer guy. I just, I processed inward and it was just my thing. Right. And so, sure. but I took a lot of those principles that I learned from there with me out in the woods. Um, and so it was just following those orphans. And, and every day I would just, I could watch the seasonal beats. Um, 
you know, as the, um, the sandhills would start to leave and different songbirds would start to leave and there's frost on the barbed wire, right, as we got into late September. And it just, it was to be out there and feel the natural rhythms, um, it was incredible. And mm. that's what I needed, right? It's not for everybody, but that's, I needed that. I needed to feel connected. I felt like I'd lost my mom. I lost my daughter. Um, I had no family really, um, but I did, right? I had my mother and I had my a creator, right? That are always there. And I needed to get in touch with that. I needed to cut the white noise out. And I love everybody. Thank you for all the advice, but I need to go inward and, and just, you know, process. And if you look you know, at it, it wasn't just about, no, yeah, go ahead. it wasn't just quitting drinking, right? It, it was, it, as soon as I quit, then all those feelings with Marley came up. Right. It's almost as if you had, there was a kindred spirit and a, and a sameness. I mean, you've got these orphan cubs who are trying to find their way without their mom, you know, they're trying to find their way. And here's Brad, who's lost his daughter and he's trying to find his way through this, this unknown, this darkness and so on and so forth. So there's some kind of a, a really primal deep connection. And again, this is just me just listening, but such a primal connection to these orphan cubs. I think that in an odd, crazy way, you, you, you were kind of on the same journey in a sense. So yeah, I, I just think it's pretty, we pretty intense. We absolutely were. And it, and it did not, it was not lost on me that we were both orphans in the wild. Yeah. We were both orphans of Grizzly Valley, you know, and they had to, um, they had to fight their battles to stay alive, right? Other bears and lions and wolves and river crossings. And, you know, they had to find it all and do it all on their own because they didn't have their mom. They only had each other. Mm-hmm. Right. So I just felt like, I mean, <laughs> that people are really going to think I'm crazy, but believe me, there was nights where I'm like, I wonder where they're sleeping tonight. Mm-hmm. I would love to just go like, I just quietly just crawl up and just, you know, 30 or 40 feet away, just curl up to and just sleep under the stars with them. Because I, I felt like we were so much on the same journey in this big, dangerous world. And so many things that we had to navigate. Um, and, and we're orphans for sure. So let's talk about the orphans of Grizzly, uh, Grizzly Valley. You know, the, the, the documentary, the movie that you made um, with Doug. Tell me how, how that all worked out. Let's just um, kind of delve into that a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, as I said, Doug, you know, Doug was emphatic that we got to make a film. And when you have someone like Doug Peacock asking you to make a Grizzly Bear film, yeah. um, that, I, I, it was such an honor, but also such a, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, so honored i can't believe he would ask me and then it registers and you're like oh no what did i just sign up for (laughs) right like um no pressure so i knew there have been so many other factors and that was just one of the last ones to seal the deal that you know needed to get sober you got to tell this tale i can't let doug down the bears down myself anymore Uh, most importantly not letting myself down anymore Mm-hmm. And so we started filming and just started putting everything we uh, we needed together. Doug is a very experienced filmmaker. Um, I was blown away how much Doug knows about film and cutaways and inserts and stories and and um, how it all fits together. Um, so we made this little film um, called The Orphans of, of Grizzly Valley, just with a 
they had went through, that their mother was, you know, when they were first year, uh, coy, cub of the year, um, about eight or nine months old. Um, it was November, and they were probably heading to their den site, and, and um, there's a guy out elk hunting, and, you know, he couldn't see her, she couldn't see him, so she stood up, their mother stood up to get a better look, and he shot her dead in front of her cubs. Mm -hmm. And so um, we did not expect them to come out. Um, you know, we tried everything we could think of to try to save them um, to no avail. And, and then they came back out in 20, 2015 by themselves. And then 2016. So, no, by, by 2018, they were three years old. Yeah. Mm. So when they were back out again, we just, you know, and we knew at some point where they were um, living in this kind of, sanctuary where uh it's a basin that's that's full of wonderful ranchers and people that are working together to preserve the landscape and and the ecosystem and, and so they had kind of a safe place uh, but we know at some point they're probably gonna you know maybe three four years old they're gonna probably split and go their own ways and they're gonna get so big and go out with other big bears that we may never uh maybe won't even be able to recognize them again, yeah you know so we knew that time was of the essence this was our last chance to really film these these two orphan cubs so this is you said they were at the three-year mark um in about 2018 um where so did out of curiosity do you know did you ever see them again after you made the film was that something that just because that would have been hard too. It's almost saying, you know, saying goodbye. But you know, everybody was literally their journeys were 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 self fulfilling. Everybody's going in their direction. So again, I, the connection to you and the Cubs just kind of continues. Um, but how was that? How was the filming of the movie? And you know, were they? Um, where are they today? Do you know? So that's I. I just want to kind of talk about the, the the movie a little bit and where people can see it, by the way. Yeah, for sure. Um, the film's on my website. Um, it's on um, Vimeo, I think. Uh, it's mm -hmm. called The Orphans of Grizzly Valley. Right. You can Google it and, and, and find that. Um, Good. It's pretty accessible, and I can share that share that with you also. Awesome. Um, yeah, we, you know, we, we kept filming, kept getting everything, um, you know, hoping that, that we would need. And I was also trying to just be out there and be sober with them. Um, and, and, you know, it became a little bit of a thing where um, people go to this area to see grizzly bears, yeah. and uh, but not as many in the morning. And I used to love it when I'd pull up and I'd quietly close my truck door and kind of walk around. And they're fairly close, and I'd see one of them lift their head quickly, like scared, and then they'd recognize and just go back to what they were doing, right? And I just sit there. I wouldn't even get the camera out. I just want to sit watching and just be, be there with them for mm. a little bit before I have to work and do all that. So um, we kept filming, and then end of September, I think September twenty seventh ish was one of the last times I saw them, which we kind of expected. They move out of this area, exhaust the food resource move out, start heading up to the high country to, to wherever they denned, you know? So it was always a treat every year when I get a text or something, you know, the orphans are back and I raced up there to go mm. find them. And so I was kind of used to saying goodbye to them in the fall. Right. And so we didn't see them, didn't see them. And then all of a sudden this video surfaced of two grizzly bears fighting over a roadkill deer 
about five miles from their home, right next to the road, while people filmed it with their phones. Ah. And I thought, oh, no. Someone sent me that video. And then Doug called me right away. And he said, it's the orphans. And I said, no, 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 Doug, it's not. These are big bears. And our bears don't fight like that. They love each other. They would never (laughs) make those noises and do that stuff. And I've spent hundreds of hours around these orphan cubs. They they may be grizzly bears, but they don't do that. And um, Doug just was pretty sure. It was them, and I, I just couldn't get my head around it. Um, we'd heard that they one of them had been trapped and collared and relocated, and it went right back to the same place. They, um, whatever bears these were, had left the, had left the sanctuary of a basin and gone into a town um, mm-hmm. where people weren't quite prepared for them. And so they're getting into dog food and garbage and, you know, vegetables left in gardens in October and apples left on trees in October. And and um, all of a sudden, we just didn't see them anymore. And we didn't see a lot of bears as they, they left that area and went to den. And um, Doug just had a bad feeling, but I, mm-hmm. they weren't our bears. I just knew it. Those, that's not the orphans. I've spent enough time around them. And I watched that video dozens of times. It's not them. Mm-hmm. And then that's when... The following March-ish, it's when I found out that it was most certainly the orphans, yeah. and the state had killed both of them. Yeah. Um, they were both both females. It was two sisters, and I found out that following March in 2019 that they might choke up. Yeah. They killed the first orphan on my on my 30 day sobriety. Oh. So those little stinkers. Help, you know, I, I kind of rode their backs to sobriety to get started. And, and while I'm, you know, eating tacos and um, celebrating my 30 day sobriety anniversary, um, one of the orphans was getting a bolt to the head. The, so. you know, it's that, um, hmm. We can always somehow find this this amazing rationale in our own hearts that say they were there for me. And I do believe that as um, in a natural creator type scenario, I do believe that there is no mistakes in that aspect and that there is that connectivity as we were talking, you know, that, that there's a connection and there's a reason. And we never want to, um, I don't like to feel that uh, there's a wasted life. I hate the idea of how they exited the world, and I find it horrendous, distasteful, and everything else. They were just so without teaching, you know, when their mom was taken from them on how to survive it. And with all these humans around them, they were, it was in some cases inevitable, which is just just so horrible to my my heart, for sure. And I'm sorry well, you had to you lose know, that. The, yeah, you know, and then they, yeah, the first one was October fourth, and then I think the second sister they killed October sixteenth. And you know, the, the one of the saddest parts about it to me was these were perfect, perfect ambassador bears. Mm. You know, we don't have bears supposedly in the crazy mountains. Um, in these pockets, we have these genetically isolated pockets of grizzly bears around Montana, Wyoming, Idaho. 
Um, these these two little girls would have been perfect, right? Put some collars on them. They'd already collared one. Collar them and go put them in the Selkirks or go put them in the cabinets or go stick them in the yaks or the crazy mountains right. and just let them go, right? If they die of natural causes up there, um, they die of natural causes. But just, to, you know, they fought so hard to survive yeah. and they did so good. We had ranch owners up there who, who said that they would – sit out on their you know porch and watch them root and dig um out behind the house that they you know they were not aggressive these are not aggressive bears right they just you know they're just like me they're scabs if i walk into your house and there's a pizza on the table i'm eating <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you know and that's the same thing they did right absolutely. they're just they're hungry and when they're in hyperphagia um, it's just food, 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 right? They're trying to get 30,000 calories a day basically off the salad bar, yeah. right? So it's just food, food, food. And that's all they were thinking. And it's just uh, just a wasted life when they could have, there could have been, I just felt like it was slothful and mm-hmm. it was lazy mm-hmm. by the state that they just, you know, shrugged and said, kill them. And we'd actually heard that um, one of the people with the state said that um, all of us people that appreciated those bears and made films and took pictures of them are the ones that killed them. Yeah, that's not true. Um, and I, I, I will, I will, you know, right now I'm just the the last person that wants to. Or that, well, I, when it comes to fish, wildlife, and parks, I don't have a whole lot of of um, kindness. Um, especially for the fact that it is when it comes to predators, bears, wolves, lions, um, predators, period. Um, it's just easier to kill them than it is to actually put them back into the wild where they, where they truly belong and where they can thrive. And like you said, and anybody who's been to Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, anywhere in that area, they're so so many places that you could put these animals where they wouldn't um, have conflict with with humans, and so I I agree with you. It's very lazy, but it's yeah. easy. It's easy. Um, yeah, what a hell of a story. Um, with that though, so they've been killed. This has to affect you. It had to affect you. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> I just, um, you know, I was eating, uh, having a burger, and uh, at uh, Chico mm. Hot Springs, sitting sitting in a saloon, having a burger and a and a diet coke, and got the news, and I just knew I was going to drink. <clears throat> that was it. Mm. I tried so hard. You know, I was about six months sober, and I I have fought. And fought and fought and felt like I was doing the right thing every day, praying, my mantras, my meditation, my everything. It's just, and seriously, this is what happens. And um, I knew I was going to drink. It was just a matter of whiskey or beer and where I was going to stop on my mm-hmm. way home, you know. And then when I got home and realized that I forgot to stop, you know, and I thought, well, it's not worth driving back. And, and when I got the call, I could spoke about in the last episode my my pro indian friend who's she's done so much for me um she said i heard you had a bad day or i know you had a bad day yesterday and so i prayed the creator to take your that urge to drink away 
And I was so shocked and just so like, I couldn't, like, what is she talking about? Did I text her? Did I, well, I, I'm so confused. And she said, the reason I'm calling you is I asked him to take it away from you yesterday, but I told him to give it back to you twice as hard today, make you earn it. So I'm giving you a heads up. You're going to have some craziness today, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I said, did you hear about the orphans? And she said, honey, I don't know anything about the orphans, but any orphans, but I got to get back to work. I hung up the phone. She just knew she just had a feeling that, you know, it's like that spidey sense or something mm-hmm. like, Ooh, something's wonky in Brad's world right now. And, um, I got to stop what I'm doing and pray for him. And she did. <clears throat> and I believe that he took, um, took that urge away um, from me, you know? So it's, it's just one more thing to another obstacle. Um, you know, typically I would have used tragedy as an excuse to drink, yeah. you know? Um, and, and this is the first time where I'm, I'm like, nope, it is not, I'm not going to drink. It actually galvanized me. And it gave me purpose and it gave me strength, right? Once you clear a mountain peak and you look back and you go, mm-hmm. I did it. Like, I did it. And I can do it again. And I can do it again and again. And I can go bigger next time, right? So this time, it, those orphans and what Rachel did for me put air under my wings. And, and it, it just it gave me such a boost. Where'd you go? Where'd you go from there? You know, I just, I exhausted myself. Uh, it got to be, you know, still kind of winter. And, you know, anytime I had cravings, I would just strap my boots on. I mean, I would mm-hmm. force myself, you know, and I love to hike. And there was days I'd take my boots off and throw them in the corner. I hated them. They're covered in mud. I'm sick of hiking. I don't want to hike anymore. I just want to drink. I don't want to think. I want to drink. I just, you know, but every time I get those urges, I'm like, I, I, I love hated my boots, <laughs> and oh, I, yeah. but I'd pack it up and put the pack on. And every time I got out there, right, I'm like, okay, you know, once my boots get working again and broke in and okay, I'm out here, you know, so I really just poured myself into nature, poured myself into, um, being outside. And, and really I started, um, while I was baking, I started taking notes late, um, 2018 um, for, I, I didn't know what it was going to be. If it was going to be a book or whatever, I just had, just I got, I got sober and I told people about my story. Um, you know, I was drinking. I was very reluctant. Um, I didn't ever want people to feel sorry for me. Or, you know, when I was drinking, I didn't want that. And, uh, but after I got sober, I was sharing my story a little more. And um, since you've got, you've got to write this down, you've got to write this down. So I said, Oh, so I started scribbling stuff down and writing things down. And so by March of 2019, after I'd heard about the orphans and stayed sober, um, I really started just, it was just this data dump of everything that had happened to me. And I was already on Baker's hours. So I would write from <laughs> maybe 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. almost every night. And then get up and we had cabin flips and, you know, we had cafe and lodge and kids and dogs and renters and, so that, that period from 1 a.m. to about 6 a.m. was, you know, when I could think, when I, I go out to my cabin by myself and I'd start writing this stuff down. And I had a couple a couple times sitting out there, you know, three o'clock in the morning in this tiny old miner's cabin out of Yellowstone. And I'd think, 
what am I doing, right? Nobody wants to hear this stuff. Nobody cares about this, dude. You know, only you care about this. And at one point I said, I just out of the blue, I said, Marley, should I write this book? <laughs> and literally the lights started flickering in the cabin at like three o'clock in the morning. Wow. And I just said, oh, okay, I'll go make some coffee, right? Let's get to work. Like, I know she's been there with yeah. me through this. So I'm, um, so I, I just started writing a book about everything that happened to us. And you're, where are you at with the book now? Are you still progressing with it? Yeah. So I've got the first, um, the first draft through, I have an agent, um, Sam Hyatt with the rights factory is representing me. So we've got a, a pitch and a treatment and, um, we've submitted to, um, some top tier publishers. Um, we've heard back from a few. We're still waiting to hear from a few. So anybody out there has any ties to publishing, um, <laughs> Sam Hyatt, <laughs> the rights factory, um, has my manuscript, has everything. Sam's a wonderful guy. And, you know, he took on an unknown writer, um, and, and him and Diane Toronto, my, um, editor have, um, Diane's worked so wonderfully with me and, and helped so much to, to help pull my voice out and pull this story out. You know, I can, I can tell it to you, but to sit down and write it, um, you know, for something for publication is a little different. So it's been a journey in itself and it's just been part of my recovery is to, to sit down and write this all out, you know, and, and in essence, it started out just for me. Like mm-hmm. I just, I had no intentions of publishing anything. I just wanted to just write it all out. What had happened is, you know, part of my, what they advised to do in, in treatment, yeah. you know, is just write these things out, journal it and, and write it out. So it's definitely been, it's definitely been your treatment, your therapy, your, your moving forward. Um, it's down and your, you know, your journey hasn't stopped. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you keep adding things to your life. Cause it, it you're, you're definitely, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. You're that kind of guy. I got something to do. I got something to say. I got something to see. And so not only do you have the book finding Marley that's coming out, um, and, um, which I'm excited to, to read, um, your story is magnificent, but you also started a podcast, which is therapeutic in and of itself for those listeners, by the way. It's called Outside, uh, Take It Outside Podcast with Bradley Orsted. And is it's on Apple, right? Correct. Yep. And um, tell me a little bit about what made you just decide to start doing Take It Outside. Well, my fingers got tired of typing, so <laughs> and my mouth never gets tired. Mine either. That's why so, podcasts rock. <laughs> it was just a natural progression. No, you know, I love the platform, the format for it. Um, you know, and it's something that I talked about with a couple other people um, before about doing um, with Casey Anderson and, and with my friend George Buman and a couple other people that we talked about doing something like this before. Um, and so it was, it was really just a kind of an offshoot of the book and talking to people about, um, my journey and, and some of this that I've shared on social media, on my Instagram and, and um, on my Facebook. And I've had, I have people reach out, um, who, you know, are curious. And then I, I tell them a little bit more and they're like, what? 
Now what? I'm like, hold on, I'll just do a podcast so I can get all of this out. Yeah. Um, so we can lay down the backstory and really, um, in all seriousness, though, Kim, a, a big part of why I do this is for guys. And you know, I was raised in that culture of guys don't talk about their feelings, mm-hmm. guys don't hug, guys don't tell each other that they love each other. You know that. Um, in fact, when um, within 24 hours of losing Marley, um, Stacy and I had come downstairs. Her family was down there, and we're sitting at the table. Just you know, our daughter was just killed at my mom's house. It's been less than 24 hours, and um, we're both crying and. One of Stacy's relatives, elderly relatives, looks at me and she goes, "Stop crying!" Oh my god! And I just kind of looked at her. She goes, "She goes, men don't cry." And I just said, "Oh, okay." I felt really embarrassed. You know, I looked at her, her husband, Stacy's grandpa, who's a World War II veteran. You know, and he's not crying. And I'm, I'm all of a sudden, I felt like a girl, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, only the girls here are crying. And and so, oh, you know, what? So I started drinking. Oh, if I'm not supposed to cry, then I'll just sit here stoically while all you cry and, you know, get you, make you tea and everything. And then when you, when you ladies want to hang, then I'll just go outside and chug alcohol and numb all my stuff. Right. So I talked to so many guys as I was getting sober and in recovery who were also sober and in recovery. And, you know, we, we just said, this is not right. You know, there's no support group for men, right? Really men go through so many struggles and problems and they don't have support groups and they don't have other bros other guys that they can go you know hey i'm hurting man i'm sad or i'm depressed or, i don't even know what the hell's wrong with me man i'm just a wreck today dude you want to go hike you know like they just don't have that and so uh, that was a big part of it and just for me knowing how terrible i felt sitting inside with everything and how much better i always felt outside right even since i was a kid like i just I grew up in a tumultuous home. And so outside is where I always wanted to be. I didn't care what it was, just outside, yeah. right? And and so in my recovery, when I got sober, I had to deal with everything with Marley and deal with everything with my mom and, and start working through that. I mean, I would sit inside and literally feel the walls closing in, right? And then I'd get out on the trail with those muddy boots I was pissed off at. And I'd get out there and I'd go, this all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Chill out and breathe. You're doing all right. Just slow down, calm down. You're doing okay, right? And just to get that composure back, mm-hmm. your legs back under you. So um, long story long, um, that's why I started it. was in part, I believe, in wilderness therapy and the ability for us to reconcile things better and easier and faster outside. And, and two, you know, as I get into uh, this next season especially, I really want to start touching on what is masculine? Right. What is the you know, the John Wayne way, right? We just drink right. and smoke ourselves to death at fifty four. Exactly. Well done. Mm-hmm. At least you didn't cry. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. You wouldn't want to look like an ass. <laughs> you know, so it's like what well, you know, it's just it needs to end. And so since I've gotten sober, we started a uh, support group out here. Now I've got um just a, a group of guys. We check in on each other, right? Every once in a while just to text, Hey, I love you. I hope you have a great day. I would never did that with guys before. You would have been punched and called a sissy or whatever, yeah. right? Like, yeah. So these times they're a change. They have to. I think this 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 stereotype of man, woman, 
um, you know, blue versus pink, you know, let's face it, you know, I, I, I very much sit in a middle, <laughs> you know, in a middle there. Um, you know, I'm a lesbian, you know, that's, 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 uh, you know, I've always had that, that stigma where it's like, oh, you're not feminine enough or whatever. Right. And it's like, right. what does that mean? Because I do have a feminine side, but it's not where I'm comfortable. Um, I was, you know, raised in that aspect of, you know, come on, hold it back, don't cry. So I had to be tough. So toughness has this, yeah. this demeanor, right? And I think men have been cheated in life by that ability to feel sensitivity, to feel, to feel, God, just the word alone, just to feel. And so it's got to stop because truthfully, everybody hurts, you know? Everybody has feelings. Everybody does. Everybody we should all have, have that. that mas- yeah. <clears throat> Express sure it. We all have that masculine in us and that feminine in us, right? And, sure. And why why can't we embrace it? I mean, I I stand here as Brad, but I I it was very close. I could have very easily been a Brad Weena. Sure. So, sure. Um, I have I have that in there too, right? It's like now that I talk to guys about it, you know, it's. Um, it's refreshing. It's liberating, yeah. you know, to actually to acknowledge that. Yeah, I don't care what gender you are. Hurt is hurt. Exactly. It doesn't care, right? You know, fellowship is fellowship. It doesn't matter what box you fit in or mm-hmm. what you know you if you don't fit into someone's stereotypical woman or man or yeah. whatever. You know, the deal is that nature is the great equalizer. It accepts you no matter what your color, race, gender, preference, blah, blah, blah. It's all, it's the great equalizer. It does not care. It accepts you for who you are out there. And I think that's why so many people can benefit from it, you know, from, from all over because it's so, where do people feel most comfortable, right? When they get out in that, you know, and it, it, it just, it's a great equalizer. Yeah. I find it interesting when you get this, you know, the big burly man who, like you said, don't cry, don't do this, don't do that. And you put them into a situation where everyone is freely expressing themselves. And I think this goes for anybody who, I don't know why I said big burly man, but anybody who is stuck in this, um, the stereotypical role and you put them in a place where everything is free and it's, and there is love and, 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 and so on and so forth. And how that slow, at first it's that staunch, oh my God, what am I doing here? Kind of feeling, but you kind of watch them slowly in time melt away and have that ability to, 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 to express themselves without feeling like they're going to get, you know, you know, knock it off. You know, men don't cry. They're not going to get that, that back, that backlash. And I think we all need to just allow that to happen. And, and I I think it's, I think men have gotten the short end of the stick for so long. So I think it's fantastic that you're allowing this to, um, to air for one, so that people out there, men, women, I don't care who you are, but get out of that stereotype, whatever it is you're in and just be. And, but you're giving men this opportunity to, and I listen to it. So I'm standing, um, gender, gender aside, I'm, it's very therapeutic, but I think it's really awesome that you're, you're putting that out there for them and giving them the opportunity as well. So, um, take it outside podcast with Bradley Orsted, 
It's on Apple. Um, again, it's on, you know, I mean, if, if anybody's following you on Facebook, um, social media, you know, you have that opportunity to, to um, just kind of check in with Brad anyway. But I think it's great. And also, um, I noted that you are um, doing tours in the park as well, photography tours. Is that correct? Yeah, we're going to start doing some some tours again, teaching again in the, in the park um, this year. Everything's so wonky still mm-hmm. with COVID. Yeah. So we're still trying to figure out what that looks like. You know, ideally I'd put maximum six people in a, in a vehicle and we'd go out together. And um, so now we're going to have to be a little more creative this year, but that's exactly what I want to do. And not, and not just teach photography, roadside photography in Yellowstone, but um, full immersions. Um, so we understand, right, why the bears go here, the animals go here, the wolves move there, and what they're eating. And when they leave an area, let's go out and see what they were eating. And let's go see what a day bed looks like and a rub tree looks like. And, you know, I mean, right. I just think we get such better images when we have a better connection to our subjects and to the ecosystem. And, you know, let's get our hands dirty, right? Let's take our shoes off and stick our toes in that bare mud yeah. let's feel this place a little bit right that, that's when the images come to you and you don't you know the worst thing you can do with wildlife photography is chase images you know Amen. It's almost like a little kid right you want them to come to you yeah and i think the way you're doing it is the, it's been my dream that's that's my dream job it, less the photography because we've talked i'm not a photographer i want to be but to, to get out there and explain and show people what it is to to travel a, a game trail, you know, to, to see what all these yeah. things are that, that give you the experience to be riled and, and, um, you know, to show them what it is to actually quote unquote track for, for, for lack of a better way to put it, but, but track the animals and know what, what a rub is and, and so on and so forth. So I think it's fantastic. And is that, um, can people find you with that? Um, which, what, what's the tours called? Sure. So I'll be working for, um, it's called Yellowstone Wild. Okay. And so um, if you go to Yellowstone Wild online, I'm working for Emil this year, doing um, photography tours for him. And then we're also going to be doing um, a brand new program this year that we just developed. that will be photography in the morning, um, wildlife in the morning, and then about 9 a.m., you know, how it is in July when Mm -hmm. the animals kind of lay down. We're going to switch gears and fly fish the rest of the day. Oh, that's awesome. Wildlife in the morning and then fly fish in the rest of the day. And a nice, good, healthy, organic lunch. We're just going to lay on the hillside and eat organic strawberries and watch the clouds go by, too. Oh, my God. Uh, Sign me up. Breathe and, yeah, breathe and feel it, right? We're going to, it seems so important to feel this. Everybody just wants to check it off. Not everybody, but so many people just want to check off Yellowstone bucket list. Did it. Yeah. Right. And even though my photography, when I used to teach photography, <laughs> I know it drives people nuts, but I tell now we're going to turn the camera off and we're just going to each sit here under our own juniper, you know, for a little bit and just listen. Right. And they don't understand. They get so frustrated. I'm like, are you not listening to the birds? Do you hear that? why that bird's alarming? Do you hear that red squirrel? It has two different alarms, one for terrestrial and one for aerial. Mm. Right. If you listen, that's an aerial. Now, guess what? Well, now we got a red-tailed hawk coming in, right? Those tools, that's how you photograph in the wild, right? Unless you just want to pull up and set your tripod next to 400 other mm-hmm. of your newest best friends and click the same image they got. 
right? That that to me so. is everything. I'm, um, you know, people. You can you can travel the figure eight in Yellowstone all day long, every day, and see great things. But less than one percent of the population that pops into Yellowstone goes off trail more than hundred yards. I always found that interesting because to me, the minute I hit that hundred yard mark, I wave. <laughs> and I'm and I'm gone for a reason, and I think that sometimes, and I've I have to, I I still have to learn this for me with um with um either whether it's photographing or whether it's uh, um getting out my scope. Sometimes I'm like it's it exactly what you said where it's like stop because you're missing so much of what you need to be seeing or hearing or smelling or you know what you should be focusing on you're missing because you're so dialed in to this lens whatever it may be and so it's so important to stop drop it and just be a part and to me that's some of the greatest things that are will forever be in my head maybe not on film but they're constantly in my imagination and in my mind is is those things that i've focused on by doing that and it's so important. Well, you know, I've found that the images, let's face it, they just enrich my ego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I turn the camera sure. off out there is when it enriches my soul. Boom. That right there is a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, just You take that one thing you just said and slap it on a T-shirt, and there's, the, uh, there's what I think we need to focus on in life for sure. Um, so people can actually go out and, and play with you this summer. Hopefully we'll get through this COVID and that can be a, that can be a gift for everyone is to, to get in touch with you and, and make plans. Cause I think that it's just all huge, but that brings us though, Absolutely. that brings us to your, there's so many things to talk about. So I hate to just keep pushing it, but we're going to go and just the beast of our time. I mean, we're not done with bears, and grizzly bears are in real need right now. And and I think that this um, film is going to be really important. Um, I, I can't explain to folks enough that aren't from the area and aren't in contact with um, what's happening legislatively, but grizzly bears are still on the endangered species list, but they are being pushed off pretty soon. And we've got legislation in, in states that are really setting it up to go after grizzly bears in a big way. Um, and so without me getting on that preaching pedestal that I can get on because I'm dealing with it right now, the beast of our time um, is a really important film I think that you're doing. So Let's really talk about this and then uh, uh, kind of go into it a little bit. Yeah, for sure. We um, After the film, The, the Orphans of Grizzly Valley, um, you know, we did with, with Doug Peacock, and, and it got some traction and it got some, some heads turning and, and looking at it. And so Doug had some friends that came back that wanted um, to fund another movie. And asked Doug if he had an idea of, of what he wanted to do it on. And, and of course, Doug knew right away. He's one of the most decisive people that I've, I've ever met. And so once again, <laughs> Doug calls me to the kitchen table. <laughs> and, um, you know, so this time we're sitting talking. And he said, hey, we're going to have to do this thing again. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> what? Like, you know, I've been such a reluctant 
conservationist. <laughs> I never wanted to do this stuff. Um, you know, it's not that I didn't want to. I just never saw myself. You know, I'm just more of a quiet loner. And even like recovery, I'm like a reluctant um, sponsor now, I guess. But um, <laughs> Doug brings me into this. And I said, okay, what are, what are we doing? And he says climate change. And I said, Doug, how the heck do we show climate change in a film? How do I show that, right? I mean, can we do time lapses? How you know? I'm thinking visually, right? And so Doug starts laying this out for me, and I realized that it's not only is it climate change, but I think Doug's ready to finally lay out his 50-year career mm. of saving grizzly bears and his own, you know, coming back from from Vietnam, a wounded and decorated Green Beret medic from Vietnam, right? Where they sent Doug home. You you need to go home, Doug, and he just disappeared you know, into Yellowstone with in the Wind Rivers with the bears and it changed his life. And so to hear all of this come out from Doug, like this isn't just, this isn't going to be another, you know, six minute kind of PSA public Mm -hmm. service announcement. So this is going to be like a 30 minute actual film. And so, and it's Doug's story. It's his 50 year unflinching look at, at grizzly bears and, and, everything they've been through and how our fates are so intertwined. And so we just started talking about this the same way we did the other film. And, and, you know, the, one of the hardest things to do on a grizzly bear film is to have good grizzly bear footage. And so between Doug's archival footage and my footage, and then another incredible filmmaker and brilliant human, Bob Landis mm-hmm. had uh, donated Bob donated seven hours of grizzly bear footage to this project. So between Bob, Doug, and I, we had the hardest part done is all the bear footage. But how do we connect the dots? And how do we – my biggest fear with doing a film like this is um, how do we get across the poignant – how how devastating climate change has been to the white bark pine and to some of the food sources of the bears and how it's – pushing things and, and moving them around and, and how we're isolating these bears. How, how do I do all this without turning this film into nerd camp? You know, <laughs> like, I can't just show charts and graphs. And if you'll look at figure at one, a seven, you'll clearly see that I'm like, I'm asleep already. And, and I, it's our film. I'm like, how do we, it can't be nerd camp. It has to be entertaining, but it has to be provocative and it has to be informative too. And so, of course, Doug already had this all thought out. So he's, you know, he had people picked out for for cast that he wanted to interview, scientists and artists and poets and writers. So we have Terry Tempest Williams, and we mm. have Rick Bass, and we have C. Marie Furman, and we have um, uh, David Madsen and, and Louisa Wilcox and Jesse wow. Logan and, and Barry Gilbert. I mean, we've got all all the players. And then I said, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to figure out, like, what's the um, point of view of this? You know, is it like a great God in the sky telling the story? And Doug goes, no, we're just going to have my buddy Jeff Bridges tell it. Jesus. The said, dude. Well, what? <laughs> we're going to have the dude. He goes, I'll just call Jeff, see if he can narrate this thing for it. I'll, I'll write up some. And I, I thought, oh, I mean, Doug has never let me down and he never said anything that, um, that didn't come to fruition. And, and so we've got Jeff Bridges. Wow. Um, narrating this film, who's a good friend of the grizzly bears and to the all things wild and, and lives out, splits his time between California and Montana. So we're so honored to have Jeff Bridges reading an Ed Abbey quote to open the film. That's awesome. 
Yeah, the dude, the dude, the dude. He's always been kind and wonderful for um for Montana for one. Um but yeah, for the wild wild and woolly creatures out there for sure and we all hope that he's doing well as as well. Why at a, why do you feel it's important for grizzly recovery? What what tell me a little bit more. You know, when when Doug and I first started talking and he was telling me about climate change and I fished with Jesse Logan, who's a top, top scientist and talking about climate change, but I just, I understood it in principle, but I didn't understand it, if that makes sense. Right. So mm-hmm. then I started listening to um, some guy McPherson, some other podcasts and Doug gave me some reading um, and I had to stop. I mean, I, I'm like, if I keep reading this, I won't make the film because I feel like it's that dire. Mm-hmm. I really, in my heart of hearts, truly believe that what happens to the grizzly bear will happen to every one of us eventually. Mm-hmm. When there's no more grizzlies left, our time is short because we have screwed things up so badly on this mm-hmm. planet that, you know, um, we, the grizzly bears can't survive. Um, they can't exist. We're losing all of these top and, and bottom you know, species. We're, we're losing them every day. And nobody mourns it and nobody cares about it. And we just move on. And, and and worse yet, they they want to take these last remnants of grizzly bears that we have that are so genetically isolated mm-hmm. and start trophy hunting them yep. and start killing them. And as they walk out onto a rancher's land, they don't have to check with anyone. They can just shoot it. And I just think of my orphan grizzly bear cubs who were just looking for something to eat in the fall, you know, had never been violent towards anyone. They'd been around hundreds of people and never made a a violent move, even though a human shot their mother in front of them, you know, which would give them every reason to hate people. They never did, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's just, it's heartbreaking to me to think that we could be so callous, um, you know, when we lose these wild places and as that Abby calls it and when industrial tourism moves in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when we when we don't have these places, I think for me, the grizzly bear represents the wild and not just the wild on the physical landscape, but the wild inside of us that, that every one of us need, you know, the, the person who maybe, you know, works an office job in Ohio that has no plans of ever coming to Yellowstone, but they need to know that it exists. There's a wild place, wild animals with an ecosystem that's nearly intact. You know, that mm-hmm. it's, I, I just truly believe that when we, we are losing little and big chunks of us, of who we are, um, and we're not going to get it back. And if we don't do something now, by the time we stop to look, it's going to be too late. This movie that you're making, and obviously I haven't seen it because it's it's still uh, wrapping up, but, you know, we are all, tr- those of us that are on the, on the lines really fighting for our apex predators, because I don't think people understand that without apex predators, without the grizzly bear, without the wolf, um, our lands do not, they, they don't work. We need that, 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 you know, that tropic cascade. We need that. It's essential. As you said, we cannot be the, the, the top dog in, in the wild. We're just not. And we need those, those, those animals to complete ourselves, but to literally keep our, 
our ecosystems healthy and whole. And I fear that the human predator um, is doing everything it can to kill off what we so desperately are and need to continue our life. You're so absolutely right. And we need people to wake up and we need, we need the office guy in Ohio to wake up and go, I may not see this, but yeah, you're right. I need to know that this is still here and I need to fight for it because it is our life and we are all touched by it. And I think that's the problem we have is if people aren't affected, literally affected as in um, tangibly affected, they don't think about these things. Um, but if they just understood how truly affected they are by the demise of our wildlife and our wild lands, I, I would hope they would wake up. And so I'm hoping that this film will be a part of that um, awakening because I think we need more of them. Um, I, I do too. I do too. And I, that, that power in nature to heal that I've since seen with, excuse me, I work with special needs uh, kids that have uh, high functioning down and, and Asperger's that come up every year um, from Colorado to Yellowstone. And I see, I see it firsthand and it's such a treat and a gift for me to work with them, to connect them to wilderness. And I see that um, medicine mm. is out there in this. And if we lose that medicine, you know, um, when we started this film, I had asked one of our Native American friends who's connected to the tribes. I said, hey, looking for ways to visually tell this story. Can you get me with a tribe? Is there anyone that does a grizzly bear ceremony that I could even just maybe film or just uh, roll audio, record some audio from it or something? And he proceeded to tell me that when the the grizzly bear medicine, some of the strongest medicine that, you know, healers, shamans would have had, um, the Plains tribes especially. Um, but when the grizzly bear disappeared off the physical landscape, the medicine disappeared with it. Mm. And the stories disappeared with it. So it's all gone. Mm. So a lot of these tribes that used to have these beautiful, wonderful grizzly bear ceremonies, they don't have them anymore. Because the medicine hasn't been passed on, because there's no bears to watch anymore. There's no bears to interact with anymore. There's no bears on the landscape. So that so not only do we lose the physical animal, we lose the mythology, we lose the stories, we lose the medicine, we lose so much when we lose these keystone species. What do we, you know, I think it's the million dollar question, but I think when everyone takes their talents, like your talents of visual art, um, you know, that wildness and that ability to bring it to film, um, whether in stills or motion, that's your, that's your gift and that's your talent to bring this to the table. You know, we've got to find a way for everyone to come to the table with, with this recovery. And I think this is a great start. When, when do you see, um, the beast of our time coming out and, where do we where do we see that going? You know, I mean, who's going to be pulling that through so we can get out to the masses so that they wake up a little bit and hopefully see what needs to be seen. Yeah, we're we're already, um, especially since it was Doug, um, we got accepted to 
numerous film festivals, even on a rough cut, just because of the idea and the cast and everybody and um, yours truly is in it too, where I tell the orphan story once again and try not to cry mm. once again, even though I know it's okay. <laughs> too much. I try not to do it on camera too much. Um, so um, it's going to premiere at Santa Barbara, which I think is in May. It's also going to be in Missoula at the International Wildlife Film Festival. So that's the first part of May. So what we're going to do is it'll start hitting the film festival circuits next month and then may june um so people will be able to see it but they'll have to purchase an, an e-ticket to watch it at any one of these festivals mm -hmm. and then the idea is by i think by fall as we complete the festival season then we just want to make it available online for everybody because the, the whole point of this was really an educational tool you know that's what doug we wanted to tell doug's 50-year story of, of these bears, but we wanted this to be something that, you know, I can go, I can take to schools and I can take to community centers and we can get out ahead of some of these things with, and I can get out in front of some of the stuff that's happening in Montana, you know, mm -hmm. and talk to some of these people and show them this film and, and um, maybe counterbalance <clears throat> some of what they're hearing. You know, we, I don't make films for, um, for my crowd. I mean, that's why would I make a film for my people? Because we, we already feel the same way, right? right? We're making these films for people that are maybe on the fence or haven't heard the whole story on all of this. And that's who we need to make these films for. And that's who we need to reach out to. And what we really need is is the kids, right? Is to get, um, you know, and I'm sure every generation says this, but, you know, video games got big when I was young. And I, I hated them. And I've never owned an Atari or a Nintendo or I want to be out side right yeah. doing stuff but i see so many kids now so uh, tuned into to their phones and the other stuff but i think there's power in that too we just got to inspire them right because if we can get these kids inspired to take on wildlife conservation they have the ability and the tools to hit masses of people and to gather everyone together and to realize this is their planet you know um i'm heading into the you know you know, I'm no spring chicken anymore. You know, at some point, this is going to be their planet. It's going to be their park. They're going to have to be the stewards of these wild places. If they want to have wild places left for them and for their kids, right? So that's my ultimate goal is, is not to make this for the NPR crowd because we feel the same way, right? It's I want to make this for, the, for young people and for people on the fringes and people unsure and just people who need to be inspired and maybe re rewild themselves a little bit. I think you're well on your way to, to inspiring and motivating. And I think that's phenomenal. And I'm excited for this to come out and I'm excited to help push it out there as best I can in any way that I can for and um, with you. Um, but for the grizzly bear, you know, for our wild lands and, and, um, every, everything that, um, lives within those. So I've been through this journey with you. Obviously it's just been, you know, our conversations and I appreciate them from the bottom of my heart. And I, I, from where you've come from in the darkness and, you know, coming through all that light and the experiences and this amazing growth and this reaching out to so many and opening yourself up to um, anything and everything that, that, that can be um, 
vulnerable. I mean, vulnerability is so important and we all have to open up to that. And I see you expressing it and it's beautiful in so many ways. And I'm curious, where are you going from here? I mean, you've got a lot on your plate. You're moving forward. You've got change in your life. But where do you see Brad Orsted himself, his photography, his movie making, his um, conservation work? I know that's difficult for you, but you're good at it. So don't lose it. Um, but where do you see you in <laughs> that? That was the uh, that was the advocate in me going, don't stop. Um, but where do you see yourself in the future? I don't want to say five years down the road or 10 years, because God only knows I don't know where tomorrow is. So but where do you see yourself going? What do you want to do? Where do you want to be with everything in the future? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. One that keeps me up. At night, and as you've mentioned, I'm a, I'm a go 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 kind of person, and um, I've always been that way. But once since I got sober in September of 2018, I really feel like I spend my I've been born again. I've been given a, a second opportunity, a new lease. Um, so I make the most of it. So I don't fritter away much. Um, so yeah, I stay busy, um, and it's important for me to give back. As I said, it's, I made that deal with my creator and with my daughter and with those orphan grizzly bear cubs. So my, the next thing is that I'd really like to get this book published. Um, publishing was not impervious uh, to COVID by any stretch. Mm. There's been a lot of shakeups. So the goal, honestly, was I'd love to get this book um, published so we can get that out so I can start to build a platform. And my goal was to do some public speaking. I mean, I'd, I'd love to go to places like a, a Toyota and talk to um, you know, everybody wants team building and there's so much value in team building. But what I'd like to talk to, uh, speak about is how do you do it when you're alone? Mm. A lot of times there is no team building, you know, when I'm standing on a knife edge. Like if I fall here, I'm dead. There's no team. Right. <laughs> <laughs> team was me. <laughs> yep. You know, I, that's who I looked at. And really just the, those lessons that I learned out in the wild to own the, you know, I wanted to own, when I watched a grizzly bear walk out into a meadow and own it, that's how I wanted to be on my emotional landscape. Mm. I want to walk out and own it. I own this place. This is mine. Right. Like to be that confident, to face into the storm like the bison. So I, the goal is to raise enough money. So I can start a wilderness therapy um, center, a healing center here in Paradise Valley, Montana, where we work with veterans and special need kids and addicts and just broken, hurt, anyone, right? That We're going to help you, right? I, I just, it's my goal. It's my mission to, um, I just want to take people out, especially uh, people who are in a bad place like I was. I just want to take them out in the back country, into grid country, and and break them down and bring them back broken and tired and dirty, and then give them to you know the people that I work with to do yoga and diet and give them some aftercare, give them something they can take home with them besides a prescription bottle, mm. you know, to give them something. So that's my ultimate goal is to to turn this all into a wilderness therapy center where we're, we're working with you know people with traumatic brain injuries and veterans and i have a veterans pilot program we're doing this year um that that's my ultimate goal is to get that set up to get it functioning to get it running to get the book published and then honestly kim at some point i just want to disappear with a fly rod in a journal and mm. just go breathe for a little bit i'd really like to get this in place 
so we've got to, you know, when I work with people in addictions, they finally acquiesce, they finally surrender, they finally come to me, I'm ready to go to treatment, I'm ready to get help. And I start calling around, there's no beds for 13, 17, 19 days. And we lose them. Mm-hmm. They go back out and use. And times they go back out and die because yeah. they know they're going to go to treatment. So they shoot one more giant load. And mm-hmm. they, that was the last one. And so that's my goal is to get a spot set up here. So I've got a place for a safe house for people in domestic violence, for people suffering from addiction, you know, where we're working with, you know, I've got friends that can take them fly fishing. I can take them into grizz country and tracking. And we've got people who have horses here. We have people who are willing to donate time and energy and location. And we're pulling it all together. And I'm actually meeting with some people this week um, to try to start pulling this together. So that's the big, big vision is I just want to, place where people can come and feel safe and feel welcome. And if you don't have money, we'll figure it out, right? We'll figure something out, but just, I just, it's important for me to give that back and get it set up. That's a lot and it's selfless and it's kind and it is keeping your promise. I think that you are an inspiration to anyone who's listening to you and and has listened and heard your story and continues to strive in their own way but you are an inspiration and you're amazing and I thank you thank you so much for bringing your story to me and to those that are listening and will continue to listen and I think you're and I's path will definitely cross again very soon. And I think that your story will be told again and again and again as it continues, as your journey continues. And I thank you again. And I hope to stand next to you someday and um, just just kind of bask in it all with you. I think that day will be awesome for me. <laughs> so I look forward to it. And I thank you again. It will be for me. And I thank you so much for all of your hard work and your tireless work and everything you do to protect these animals and these wild places that um, we all need so much, whether we realize it or not. Mm. Um, It's so important. So I I thank you for everything. And I thank you for the opportunity to to come on here and share this. And, And I also thank you for your grace and dignity for how you've handled this is tough subject matter mm-hmm. and, and you've handled it very well. And, and so that's very much appreciated. And, and you nailed it, right? I, I, uh, I made a promise, right? And I, I took help. And so now I've got a debt to pay. And so that's, this is how I repay my debt. Well, if there's anything I can ever do, I'm always here. If there's a subject you want to talk about, you know, I love to talk. So I'm here for you. A hundred percent. I I appreciate that, and I look forward to it as well. Well, until then, I hope you go out and get some fishing in. Yep, that's always the goal. This ultimately just to disappear with a journal and a fly rod and, you know, just kind of sit back and, and just look on it all and just hope that we're bringing in broken people and putting healthy, healthier people back out. Brad, you're awesome. Thanks again. You take care of yourself, and we'll talk real soon. Sounds good. Take care. Bye-bye.
Wow. Thank you again, Brad, for your time. And as always, your conversation is gripping. So thank you again. I want to thank you guys, the listeners. Um, I really, really, truly appreciate you. And I love your input and your suggestions and your ideas. So please keep those coming. Um, Be sure to write me at kim at wolvesoftherockies.org. And I want you to also do me a favor. Check out Brad's website. It's bradleyorsted.com. And also check out his podcast, Take It Outside. You can find it on Apple. Everybody, until next time, thank you, thank you, thank you. Stay wild, y'all.